fun. We're going to just talk about briefly this morning. I don't think it'll be very long. Um, but I want to just give an intro to Revelation and just um, call us to spend the rest of the year reading Revelation, meditating on it. Uh, and I want to just give us some things to think about, kind of uh, intro level about Revelation, and then uh, some specifics for us, sort of what to, what to read for, what to watch for in this book as we, as we finish out our study of Scripture, our three-year journey through the Bible. So we'll, we'll finish with this. Um, I think we gotta go, we got to need to do Jude at some point. Maybe we'll do that first thing. First thing in the year. Yeah, Jude is too good, too good to skip. Who knows the book of Jude pretty well? Jude? You ever read Jude? Studied Jude? I, I did recently review. Oh, nice. Good. I love Jude. It's one of my favorite books. Did we? Well, we'll go back and, and get anything. We'll gather up all the all the pieces that are that are left over. Um, in the beginning of the year. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Revelation, we know what that, what that word is in Greek. Revelation. We use it a lot for doomsday things. What's that? Apocalypse. It's that big, scary word. But this book is, is literally titled The Apocalypse. All right. And what, the, what, what revelation means is just the tearing back of the veil between the earthly and the heavenly. Being able to see into the throne room of God. So this book is the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what it says. The revelation of Jesus Christ. And I have to ask the, uh, the Thursday night Bible study people to forgive me because I'm not going to do nearly as much as Dan Hamill did. Didn't you guys spend like a year or a year well, and a half? Yeah, that was, that was so there's some revelation experts in here. So you, all, you all can detest this and hold on to the good. Um, but here's, here's what you, we need to know about revelation. Okay, this is, I think, the most important thing to know. It is written to encourage and exhort actual people. Real people in real churches. Okay? This isn't some sort of mystical text that was written to confound people or keep people guessing or fuel Christian pop culture phenomenons. That's not what the book was written for. This is a man, John, writing to people with whom he is intimately familiar, knowing their situation, knowing their pressures, knowing each church individually, what their challenges are, and giving them a word from the Lord as an exhortation to remain faithful. Okay, now, it gets crazy. <laughs> it gets crazy in the middle of the book. And it gets a little bit hard to follow sometimes. But we always have to keep in mind that this book was written to be used in the church. It was written to perform a function. All right? And there are people that argue, well, yeah, everything is pretty much for those seven churches. But then there are people who argue, like, no, everything is, those seven churches represent some sort of different era in the church. And there's all sorts of different schematics that people uh, approach the book of Revelation with. 
But that's what I want us to, to remember. That this book was written to be used, to be actively read, to be pondered, talked about, chewed on, so that we could be, so that these churches would be exhorted and comforted. All right? So that's the number one thing. This is a letter to churches that contains lots of different visions. Um, here's my one paragraph summary of Revelation. Um, God knows you. Then this is sort of a, a, a summary slash interpretation. God knows you, particularly you as a part of your local church community. He knows what you do well and what you need to change. More than anything, you need to understand that Jesus is on the throne and he is establishing his kingdom in the earth through his people. For now, there is a great conflict between the Lamb and Satan. And it's mind-blowing in scope, <laughs> this conflict. We cannot fathom. But there will come a time when the worthy judge will appear with his righteous judgments and forever banish all sources of evil from his kingdom so that heaven and earth can finally become one that God could be with his people in marriage-level intimacy and union. But until then, be faithful to what you know to be true, and live unto the eternal reality and not to the world around you, no matter how hard it gets. That's my one-paragraph summary and interpretation of Revelation. This is a book to real people who are encountering just real problems. Okay? So in, in that it's a book to real people, it's a book to, to us. Okay? And we need this book. The church needs this book. Uh, just a, a rough outline as you read. And this kind of helps when you, when you break it down into chunks. Okay? Um, in chapter 1, verse 1 through 8, there's a prologue. Just like in John's Gospel, he's got a prologue. And kind of packs in one neat nutshell um, the bulk of the message of the book. Okay? Chapter 1, verse 9, through all the way through chapter 3, is a vision of Jesus among the lampstands, which he tells us are the churches, trimming and maintaining, right? And this is Jesus really in the heavenly temple, okay? You remember in the, in the tabernacle there was a room with a lampstand. Well, this is just Jesus, the high priest, the heavenly priest, in the heavenly temple, maintaining the lamps. He says those lamps are the churches. And so then we have letters to the seven churches. And it's really prophecies straight from Jesus. He's not speaking like, well, you know, here's some wisdom that I've gathered. He's saying, this is what Jesus actually says to you. And then he speaks in first person as Jesus. That's how confident he is that this is the word of God. I mean, I'd be, I would be scared to death to look at someone or to write someone and say, here's what Jesus says, and then speak in first person as Jesus. That's pretty crazy. But that's through chapter 3. The vision of Jesus among the lampstands. And that transitions straight into what Jesus would say to those lampstands, those, to those churches. Um, chapters 4 and 5 are a vision of the throne room of heaven. Particularly in, in a judgment kind of setting. Forensic context. Because there's this scroll and it's a legal document. 
and we just read it before communion. There's this scroll, and it contains the judgments and, and future events and all sorts of stuff. And no one in heaven is able to open it except the lamb who was slain. He is the one who is able to declare the judgments of God on the opposition of his kingdom. So from there, from chapter 6 through chapter 17, uh, and that's a lot of material, that's where the bulk of the confusion comes in and the conjecture and all sorts of stuff. But chapter 6 through 17, the, the predominant structure are the seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls. There's these three sevens that, that are the judgments of God on the opposition to his kingdom. The conflict between God's people and Satan. Particularly God's judgment on evil in the earth. Um, and so there's, there's, this, is, this is the part that gets really symbolic. There's the beast out of the sea and the beast on the land and then the dragon and all this stuff. Um, and then what are the seven seals? What are the seven trumpets? When is this going to take place? Because he keeps saying it's going to happen soon, but did it happen already? Is it going to happen in the future? These are all the questions that arise out of this middle section. Um, chapter 18 through 22, verse 5. I like to call it a tale of two cities. We have the downfall and destruction of Babylon, the whore, and the rising up and the purification and the glorification of the bride of, of the Lamb, the new Jerusalem. Okay? So, and that those are very clearly the two cities. One is the city of man, the other is the city of God. And one is, is overthrowing the other one. And then 22, verse 6, to the end, sort of an epilogue. Sort of a, so what? Final words, closing, closing words. So that's the rough outline. Um, here's some interesting verses, what Revelation says about itself. Because I think these are important. It says a lot of things about itself as a book, and how to use it, what to do with it. Okay, so we ought to pay attention to these verses. Uh, so I want to read a couple of these. Verse 1, 3. Chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. I'll come back to, I'll come back to that in a second. Um, Chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book, send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis and to Philadelphia and Laodicea. Okay? So this is what this book is. Which, which what Jesus said, write this down and send it to the churches. They need to know what I'm about to show you. So write it down and send it. We go to the end of the book, chapter 22. Starting in verse 6. He said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel... To show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. 
And you have to ask yourself, what, how do I keep what's in Revelation? But that's what he keeps coming back to. Keep these words. Do what they say. Well, how do I do with the beast out of the sea? What, what, what was I supposed to do? But I want to talk about what that means, to do and to keep the words of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things, and when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers and the prophets and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Um, and then finally, in verse 18 and 19 of, of chapter 22, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. So there's something about Revelation, what it says about itself, that we ought to heed. Don't seal it up. And he goes so far as to say, I'm going to take away your share in the city of God. If you don't treat this book seriously and read it and not add to it, don't twist it. So it's pretty serious, right? So we have to ask the question. So it's very serious what Revelation says about itself. What does it say about itself? You need this book. Be very careful to listen to this book. Do what's in it. So we have to ask ourselves, how in the world do we do what's in the book of Revelation? Um, And so that's the first thing you want to watch for as you read. What does the book of Revelation tell the church to do? It tells us a lot about what John sees. That's great. But all of that is in service of what it's telling us to do. Does that make sense? No? No? So, John says, well, I'll tell you some of the things that he says. Um, He says, you need to endure. You need to repent. You need to be patient. Understand. Be faithful. Wash yourself. Cleanse yourself. Wear the robes that God has given, the righteous deeds. So, these are the things that he's telling us to do. You need to endure and be patient. All of the visions and all of the, the, the tearing back of the veil and looking to the throne room, that is to give us the how and the why and the so what for what it's telling us to do. Why do we need to endure? Because there's a great enemy, cosmic enemy of the people of God, and it's waging war against the saints. But if you remain faithful and you love not your life unto death... You can overcome that enemy. But not if you try and respond with violence or with, you know, the ways of the world. You need to do it the way that the Lamb showed you. And He is the one who conquers by laying down His life. So if you see the Lamb on the throne, you understand that you, as a co-ruler of God and the earth, can lay down your life and so establish the kingdom of God in a way that the kingdom of darkness could never overcome. Right? So you see all these visions are to get us to endure. Don't lose sight of the whole. Okay? That makes sense now? We're good? All right. So that's the, that's the first, and I think the biggest thing we should look at for in this book. Where are the imperatives? 
And especially in the letters to the churches, there was something wrong and there was something they needed to do to correct what was wrong. What are those things? And is God telling us to do those things? The big thing is, listen, we live in a time where the kingdom of God has been inaugurated, but we don't yet see its fulfillment. There's a lot of evil still in the world. But there's a worthy judge who's coming to pronounce judgment and to to banish all wickedness out of the kingdom. But in the meantime, that wickedness is going to cause you trouble. The word is tribulation, which means squeeze. (laughs) You're going to get pressed. You're going to have trouble. But don't turn away from God. Don't lose sight of the vision. Just look into heaven. Look at these things that Jesus has shown me. And then look at your life and say, Oh, I see, I see right through. I see right through this veil of reality. This veil of deception that's all around me. I see true reality. And I can live faithfully because of that. He says, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation, in the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. That's who you are. You are in the world, and as such, you are being pressed. You will be, your whole life, you will be being pressed by the world, but also by just the way God wants to uh, purify us. We're in, we're in a space of time where God is working on us. Okay? So, John says, I'm your partner in the, in the tribulation, in the kingdom, the rulership of God, and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. If you're in Jesus, you're in tribulation, you're in the kingdom, and you're in patient endurance. Second thing to watch for, and to really pay attention to, is how this book presents Jesus. <clears throat> Because there are, there are ways of, of seeing Jesus that we only get from the book of Revelation. It's only in Revelation that Jesus is the lamb with seven horns and all this stuff. His robe is dipped in blood. There's a sword coming out of his mouth. His eyes are fire. You need to know these things about Jesus. The risen and exalted Jesus. We've got the Gospels and we see his life here during his time on earth. But we need to see these visions of Jesus as the conquering king. The one, the lamb who was slain, but the one who is coming to, it says the kings of the earth are going to flee from his presence. They're going to ask the mountains to come fall on us to hide us from the wrath of the lamb. This is serious. We need to know this picture of Jesus. And John says, you need to know this about Jesus, that this is who he is. Jesus says, I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. What does that mean? It tells us something very important about Jesus. Is that he's always been. Right, this would have been really important. This is a good companion to the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word. And here he's saying, yes, this Jesus, the Lamb who's on the throne, he was there in the beginning. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And here in Revelation we get a good glimpse of the fact that he is the last. He has the final say. He is the one who pronounces the divine judgments on the unrighteousness and unfaithfulness of those who oppose God. 
Third thing I want us to watch for in the book of Revelation is the interludes of heavenly worship. I love these sections. Okay? I wish, maybe, maybe this would be a good practice. Go through and, and put all of those, like take all those out and put them in one document. And you have sort of like a New Testament, <laughs> a New Testament book of Psalms. Like this is the song that's being sung in heaven. When we come and we, we worship God, we are being caught up into this heavenly reality. You know, we always hear it say, yeah, in heaven, we're just going to be worshiping God forever. What does that mean? Well, this gives you a glimpse. Okay? Um, and so what I mean by that are the places where, like in chapter 4, verse 11, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. The reason these are important is because this is reality. This, these are the truths that will shape us and cause us to take the correct attitude toward God. Just like the book of Psalms comes in and it shows us the right way to cry out to God. These, these interludes of worship will show us how to vocalize who God is and what he's done and why he's worthy of praise. And so, these, these sections in particular are ones that we need to get deep down inside of us. So that when we say, when we come together and when we worship, these are the things that are on our hearts and are coming out. If I say, you know, in a home group meeting or whatever, let's take some time, let's just declare to God who He is. These are the prayers that should come out. Worthy are you, you created all things, and it's, it's for you that they all exist. Here are some more. Um, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. For you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came. And the time for the dead to be judged. And for rewarding your servants and uh, the prophets and saints. And those who fear your name, both small and great. And for destroying the destroyers of the earth. What a great proclamation. That'll change your life. If you wake up in the morning and you can get your heart to say that to God and mean it. Your day will be different. The way you interact with your family, your friends, people at work, it will be completely different. If you are living from a place of thanking the Lord God Almighty, who has begun to reign, you live from that, that eternal reality. Um, okay, so that's, that kind of gets us off and, and running in the book of Revelation. Um, so let me just, let me say this, by way of driving home this point. Um, I think one of the greatest things and one of the greatest reasons that we have the book of Revelation is, is perspective. Is getting the right perspective. Okay? When we see things, when we see reality, even if our minds can't really grasp the, the heavenly visions, when we chew on that, when we just encounter it, we are lifted out of our own pinched view and narrow experience of God. Okay, we live in a, in a helplessly individualistic age. An internal... What's, what's most real to us is what we feel most strongly. For a lot of us. 
or what we are convinced of, what makes most sense to us. What Revelation does is it wrenches us out of ourself. And it says, let me show you something. Look at, look at this. And you get caught up, and it's like you forget whatever you were worried about or preoccupied with. And you go, oh my goodness. There's 144,000 of them. And there's myriads of angels. And it's just this vastness and this perspective that it just takes us out of ourselves. We zoom out. And I think we need this. We need this constantly in our lives. There's time to buckle down and really do business with God as an individual. But we also need to say, God, lift me out of my, this navel-gazing. You know, just disrupt my, my prayer and, and, and help me to see the eternal perspective. Um, and we realize that, yes, God deeply loves us and he's interested in us, but what God is interested in us goes way beyond us as individuals. Is it, it is an incredible reality, an entire world that is true. So we're in the season of Advent. I've said a number of times that Advent is a, is a great season to contemplate anticipation and waiting and longing for God. And Revelation is a perfect book for that. It helps us to frame our longing because we see the end. We see what's to come. We see the new Jerusalem coming down uh, from heaven as a bride prepared for her husband. And that, that captures us. Okay? A lot of what the, the imagery in Revelation is meant to do is not send us on rabbit trails, but it's to capture us in a way that just logical arguments can't. Okay? And so I want to challenge you to allow the visions. Don't try and figure them out. First, be captured by them. Okay? And this is something that I think is very valuable for us. You kind of have to let yourself go a little bit. Set your mind aside a little bit. And, and be transported with John into that place. Okay? I think a lot of times we try and come at the book in a way that John didn't intend uh, for it to be approached. He says, listen, and keep these words and, and read them aloud. And the other thing to gain, so first thing is perspective. You know, I, I'm, as we approach this book and as we go through it, I want to place that idea in your mind that we need the perspective that the book of Revelation gives us. We need to be pulled out of our own immediate surroundings and thrust into the grand uh, story of, of all of history. But the other thing that we gain is a sobering call to faithfulness. We realize that the little things that we might struggle with really do have massive implications for eternity. Right? The things, the places where the world might be kind of ensnaring us, those aren't just little struggles. Right? And Revelation can help us to see that this thing that I wrestle with is not this, this, little, this little flea that I'm trying to, to, to get away from me. This is the dragon that's waiting to devour me. Right? Sin wants to devour me. The world is corrupt. And it wants, to, it wants my money. And it wants, me to, it wants to prevent me from spending my money on anything except its riches and its luxury and its 
It's opulence. And we can see through all the, the, the world that's around us. And it's a sobering call to be faithful to God in the presence of all of those things. The opposition from without, but also the temptation from within. And so read, read the, the letters to the churches as the, the primary um, call and the challenges, but then read the visions as the reason for those challenges and calls. Okay? Be faithful because look at, look at eternity. Look into the control room and look at what's going on behind the scenes. Okay? The stakes are very high. That's what Revelation tells us. That's another perspective it gives us. The stakes are high. And the enemy is very powerful. And it's not a joke. But Jesus has conquered. And he is able to make us conquerors as well. If we will be faithful to him. Amen? Um, so, we're, we're, that's the, the assignment this week is just to read through the book with that as the framework. And um, we'll talk about some next week. This would be great to take some time in home group to read, read some passages aloud. You know, I think I'll probably do that some next week. We'll just take some passages and read them aloud. That's one of the things it tells us to do with this book. So we want to do that. Um, uh, yeah, okay, so this week is, um, for my home group, I'm just sending everyone to go visit another home group. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's one of the reasons that there's... Well, now you are. <laughs> um, yeah, so you guys meet, what, Wednesday night now? What time? Okay, so Wednesday nights is the Williams. Tuesday nights is Ben Flannery's um, at, the, at Andrew's house, Greer's house, 730 um, but anyway, in, in home groups, uh, I encourage you to, to talk about this. Share where your perspective is being shifted through reading the book. Okay? This is, I love reading this book. I don't know why, but I always tend to be in it around the new year. And it just really helps me to focus on the fundamentals of what it means, of what we're called to be. We're called to be the people of God on the earth. And there's lots of opposition to that. Uh, but we can be faithful and we can overcome uh, that's, that's what the book tells us, and that's what Jesus empowers us to do. Amen? Amen. All right, uh, let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us to hear the words of the, the prophecy of this book. Lord, that as we study this book, that it would change our perspective. God, I just pray a special anointing on everybody's time in the Word. Uh, Lord, that, that there would be no confusion, that, that, uh, that, that questions would be... Not answered, but Lord, that the right approach, we all have the right approach to this book. I pray that you really would change us, Lord, as we're in a season of crying out to you and seeking your face for uh, direction. Uh, Lord, use this book to help point us in the right direction and to help us see things as you see them. And, and more than anything, Lord, give us, give us hope and, and encouragement uh, to be faithful to the things that you've called us to be faithful to. We give you honor and glory, and thank you so much for being our God. In Jesus' name, amen.